0: All right, all right. Well, uh, church, let's uh, let's turn in our, our Bibles to, to uh, Matthew in chapter 23. We're going to finish out this chapter today and finish out this uh, this um, I mean this wonderful, wonderful chapter. Uh, we we started last week with um, um, verses 1 through 36 and uh, the, the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. Um, in a sermon that we are um, calling God above all. And this is part two. So we'll be finishing out with verses 37 through 39 today. And if you would, please uh, join me uh, in prayer as we begin. God, thank you so much, Lord. We love you. We just bless you, Lord, for being able to worship. And we bless you for uh, being able to gather, Lord, um, in our homes at this time. Lord God. Um, Even here uh, in the church house with the the few of us that are here uh, to to stream this service, God, we are just so thankful, Lord. And we pray that everything goes well, that there are no interruptions, Lord God, and that uh, everyone would worship in freedom and in peace with no interruption. And God, we ask you to, to, to bless this uh, service this morning, Lord God, and, and, and help me, Lord, as I deliver your words to your people. Please, Lord, uh, give me your truth. Um, I, I trust that the truth that you've given me is from you, God. Please help me to communicate that to the best of my ability in you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, yes, Lord, bless us this morning. All right. Verse 23. I mean, I'm sorry. Chapter 23 and verse 37. Let's start out reading. Verse 37, Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Now... For this reason, and their unwillingness to turn to God, I'm sorry, um, for the reason that... So God is is, is telling us some interesting things here. He's telling them some interesting things and he's communicating that message to us now even over 2,000 years later, right? Um, And this is amazing. That This truth of God is eternal truth. It's not truth that exists in a vacuum. It's not truth that just exists in a certain specific culture and society at a specific time in our history. It's actually truth that's eternal, that spans uh, time and space and eternity and even pours into our lives, into our minds and hearts, here today. And Jesus tells them that he would have gathered her often. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, the lament of the Lord Jesus Christ is real lament. He would have gathered her often, and he did in fact gather her often enough for her to turn, to repent of her evil ways, but she refused. He wanted her to gather and called her so that she would repent and turn back to him, but Jerusalem unfortunately dealt itself its final blow in persecuting the very people that God sent to call her back to him. And these are the prophets that Jesus speaks of. And for this reason, and their unwillingness to turn to God, because remember, and I don't want you to miss that there, in verse 37, and you were not willing at the end of verse 37, her unwillingness, their unwillingness to turn back to God, for that reason their house was left desolate. And it will, in fact, be left desolate until they say, Jesus says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is a reference to himself. Now, to be sure, God takes no pleasure in the punishment of the wicked, and, and I need you to know that, and this is something that we all need to know that God takes no pleasure in the punishment of the wicked. Uh, I want to direct you to Ezekiel chapter 33. This will not be on your screen. This was a, a, a last minute edition, but Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 says, "Say to them, "As I live declares the Lord." I'm sorry, say to them, "As I live, declares the Lord God." I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God takes no pleasure in the punishment of the wicked. And this is something that needs to infiltrate in our hearts specifically so that we would take no pleasure... In the punishment of the wicked. How can we take pleasure in punishment of, of wickedness, in the punishment of the, wicked, uh, of the wickedness of, of our wicked hearts, of the wickedness of, of different men and women and children all over, even ourselves? How can we take pleasure in it if we ourselves know that we are not perfect? Because I'm not perfect, there's no way I can take pleasure in the punishment of the wicked because I know that my ways, some of them in the flesh, especially all of them in the flesh, none in Christ, but all in the flesh are wicked. How can I take pleasure in that punishment? It would mean I take pleasure in the punishment of myself, and I I obviously do not. And I I know that you do not either. It, it, It doesn't feel good when... When we're reprimanded, when we're scolded, when we get in trouble, when we are disciplined, it does not feel good. We know that from God that discipline that comes from Him is uplifting, it is upbuilding, it is pruning us, it is refinement by fire, it is um, pulverizing stone and rock so that, that, that mortar may be made out of everything that God has built in our lives so that the house may be built solid on the foundation of the rock. We know this from God and for that reason, we can take no pleasure in the same. Matthew, back in verse 29, so that we can go back through and get a little insight into what's going on in these verses. I want to read the, this last little section before um, what we're reading today. And this is uh, verse 29. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. Building tombs and decorating monuments they were. Saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. You see, even in our attempts to get out of trouble, sometimes we walk right into it. Jesus tells them that this is a testament against themselves. Verse 32, fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And then he starts out, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. There is a deep lament. In the heart of Jesus, they are doomed they have allied themselves, the, 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 uh, the Pharisees, the, the scribes, and, uh, and the Sadducees. They have allied themselves with the traditions of their elders and forefathers. They followed in their footsteps while ignoring the heart of the law of God at the same time. You see, they ignore the things done by their ancestors by saying, Oh, if, if we were alive at that time, we, would have, we wouldn't have done any of that. Golly, man, they, they were... But then they walked right in the same footsteps. They go along and they live by the same standards, the same traditions, the same thinking around the law of God as their fathers that they could add to it. That they could add all of their little ordinances to the law so that they could control the people micromanaging their lives. Jesus tells them in essence that they have followed in the footsteps of their fathers who killed the prophets sent by God with the message of God. They even did it at the time when John the Baptist... Uh, uh, at that time with John the Baptist, and they would uh, definitely do the same thing with Jesus Christ himself, who's God in the flesh. Jesus tells them that for this reason, they cannot escape the judgment and condemnation of God. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, so to speak. And doesn't this speak to us today, church? Doesn't this scripture ring true for all times, about how we raise our own. How do we raise our own? How do we lead in life? When we raise up anyone, whether it be in the home or in discipleship, these verses should be our guide and a warning to us about how things will turn out. We must lead with the heart and wisdom of God, trembling at his feet. We must lead with the wisdom of God again, trembling at his feet, knowing exactly what he's capable of, but also resting assured because we are at his feet and we are worshiping there. We must be at the feet of God worshiping where we find no condemnation and where we rest assured that he is with us and that he has gathered us in as a hen would her brood. You see, we are at His feet... And this is important, when we are at His feet, He is not at ours. And this is what the scribes and Pharisees and, and Sadducees of the time and people even do now today. They have God worshipping at their feet, so to speak. This is what they, how, how they live their lives and, 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 and what they would exemplify in their lives, how their lives would be lived out, what we would see if we were to look from the outside in. That God is actually not someone they worship, but they choose to put God at their feet and go out in front of Him. But this is, this is impossible with God. He is never at anyone's feet. But they had subjected God to theirs, and in their hearts they were in control. Their pride and selfish ambition had led them astray, and God in His mercy and grace would still extend His offering of love and grace in the person of Jesus Christ. Notice that though they tortured and persecuted the prophets, he didn't say to them, so because you did this, because you tortured them, because you did all this stuff, because you persecuted them, because the prophets died at your hands, I'm not sending anyone else. That's it. Notice he doesn't say that. Instead, this is what he says again in Matthew 23 and 34. Therefore, I send you prophets... And wise men. And scribes. And some of whom you will kill and crucify. And some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. He still sent the Lord Jesus Christ. He still would send even more by way of the apostles. And notice... He says, on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. Now, because of their disobedience, their children would be disobedient. This is a lesson for us today, church. Because of their disobedience, their children would be disobedient and their children would be uh, disobedient and then their children would do the same and on and on and on and they started a chain reaction that would last for generation after generation because the sins of their fathers were upon them. And their sin would be upon the shoulders and in the hearts of their children. But let me ask you today, church, what will your children do? To answer this question, we, we simply need to ask ourselves, well, what have we done? What will your children do, church? Well, what have you done? Who will, will your children be, church? Well, who have you been? And who are you now? These are important questions. And now I want to encourage you in this as well, because this doesn't mean that if you've ever done anything bad that your children are automatically going to be the same. But who have you become and what have they seen in you? What have they learned and and what is the majority of their history with you? And this is what's most likely to influence them in their lives. When we fail and when we fall in life, it's important that we go through these failures and fallings with our children so that they would know that we are repenting and confessing, asking for forgiveness and being wrapped up into the arms and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ forever. Who are you now? Remember that Jesus tells them that if they would have just believed, he would have gathered them as a hen gathers her brood. This is what he says. A hen protects her brood. will fight to the death to protect her brood. And some of you with chickens or who have raised them know exactly what I'm talking about. I know quite a few of us have either either had chickens or, or currently have chickens. Uh, I know a couple of my uh, <laughs> my my church member uh, friends here um, brought their chickens inside last night during the the hurricane. Um, how did that go? <laughs> But they'll go up against anything to protect their own. I was actually, uh, when I was uh, uh, researching this and looking at this, I was, I, was, I was looking at videos. I just Googled, you know, uh, a hen protecting her brood. And I want you, to, I encourage you to do that. Man, I saw I saw videos of, of, of hens protecting their brood against goats, against uh, dogs. You know, all these animals much bigger than themselves, man. I saw a goat square off against a hen. Man, I saw a hen go after a, a hawk, right? I saw, I saw all these different things. They, they don't care how big... The monster is in front of them that's attacking their young. They're going to protect them, and they're going to gather them in, and they're going to lead them. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ is telling the people. He says, "Listen, if, if you would have just, if you would have just believed, I would have gathered you in. I would have gathered you in." It's His grace that rings out into eternity with the sounds of pure love when He delivers His grace to His own. And it's our opportunity, church, to trust and to believe, to have faith in him. And then we follow him with our lives. Trust and believe and follow. Trust and believe and follow with our lives, with everything that we are. Not just in pieces and parts, but with everything. Are you a whole person in Christ? I know you are. But are we behaving and living like the whole person in Christ we should be? Well, we could probably all do better at that, couldn't we? He gathers us up and he places us under his mighty wings. I want to read Psalm 91, 1 through 4 for you. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence, and he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Ooh, see that's, oh, that's glory, church, that's promise, that's revelation, that's security, that is joy, that is peace, that we are, are, are covered in His wings, that He will keep us from destruction, that He will hold us and, uh, or gather us in and hold us together forever. This is, this is incredible, this is, this is glory and this is pure love and this is the hope of the Christian and this is yours in Christ. But Jesus makes good on His promise to send them, those who would be His prophets, His messengers, I want to read John 20 and 19 for you, a few verses after. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Can you, can you kind of pinpoint where we're at here in, the, in John after the resurrection? I'm sorry, after the, the crucifixion and uh, right after the resurrection, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from many it is withheld so these are those he promised to send that they would repent and for those who would not as a sign to the others that these were those his judgment would be placed upon He would send the apostles he would send them out as the prophets and he says I will send you even more still more I will send to you And he does send and John records that. But for those who would not repent, it would be a sign for those who did of exactly who not to follow. You see, God purposes for His people to know who to follow and who not to follow. And those that persecuted the prophets, we are not to follow. Those who persecute the church, we are not to follow. And if we do, we follow to our own demise. God wants us to see that here. God wants you to know the true from the false. And unfortunately, there will be those, and in fact, there are those now who persecute and think they do so in the name of the Lord. And this is one of the things that I brought up last week that admittedly is frustrating for me in life. That people who persecute the church, they, they think they're offering service to God in some way. They think they're doing the right thing. They really believe it's right. Listen to John chapter 16 and verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. I want to read that verse again. Number two, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. There is a deception in their mind and hearts. They actually think and believe that they're doing the right thing. This is how we can have so many different opinions in the world as to what the truth is. Oh, my truth is different from your truth, they'll say. But that can never be true, because truth is objective. And there is one truth, and that's it. Things that compete against one another cannot both, or three things, or five things all be true at once. That's the law of non-contradiction. Verse 3, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You see, their kind had been prophesied about in the Old Testament as well. Um, those who would be deceiving, those who would stir up dissension. They desired not just to silence those who disagreed with them. No, they craved the blood of them, not just their silence. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 9, the, Lord, the Lord's scripture reads, The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. Listen, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. Again, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. They seek our destruction. They seek the destruction of the people of God. And again, from John, we know that these people think that they are actually offering service to God, that what they're doing is right in wanting our destruction. We see this in China now, don't we? We've recently had reports, we've, we've had reports ongoing for a long time, but recently even that they want to strip churches of um, any kind of images of crosses or of Christ or anything like that and replace them with the images of, uh, of uh, Xi Jinping, right, President Xi, or, uh, or Mao. They, they want, to, they want to, to replace the image of the cross with the image of the Chinese government In churches, and in fact, they are doing that. They seek the destruction of the people of God. But God will never allow this to happen. Though they be persecuted, they will endure. Though they be persecuted and cast out, they will be gathered in as a hen gathers in her brood. Praise be to God for that. Because the Lord will be our rescuer. The Lord will be their rescuer. He will be our rescuer. He will be the rescuer of his people. He will come to our aid even in the most desperate of times, just as he did for the apostles and the prophets. Moses sang this song with the people to rejoice over what the Lord had led them out from. In Exodus 15 and verse 10, you blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like You, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like You, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out Your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in Your steadfast love the people whom You have redeemed. You have guided them by Your strength to Your holy abode." Listen to that. That's a song of Moses that they would sing In rejoicing, like rejoicing in joy and in, oh, just knowing what God had led them out of and the promise that had come through for them in their lives. Are we singing songs like this today? Where we are rejoicing over what the Lord has done through the ages. I pray that you are in your own life, church. Not just on Sunday here this morning with us, but I pray that you are singing songs like this daily even that she would always remember the Lord. And we too can rejoice in this, that when life gets hairy, because of the song of Moses there, when life gets hairy and when things and when we make the wrong decisions and the grace of God and is his hand to save is outstretched toward us to gather us in as a hen gathers her brood, that we are caught up in his majesty. And I pray that we would know that. You see, the good news is that life isn't over. The good news is it's not too late to change now. It's not too late to make that decision now for Christ. That's the good news. Life is not over for you now. If you're here, if you're listening, life isn't over and it's not too late for you. In fact, you can do it here, now, today, right now where you sit. And get along with God. It's not too late to turn and believe, and it's not too late to run into the arms of the Almighty, because He's calling you from life. I'm sorry, He's calling you to life from death. He's calling you to life, to live forever with Him. And as you change, I pray that you would allow your children to see that change. Remember I said, listen... Our children will, will respond to our lives the way that we are living them, and they will exemplify the things that we've done and the decisions that we've made in our lives, in their own lives. They will do this. But even if we've done things as we are raising our children that, that go against the will of God, it's, it's never too late to change and for them to see that change in you. Because God will gather us in. And he will gather them in if they would trust and believe. You see, let the Lord change the hearts of our children, your children, as he's changed yours, as you've changed. See, Paul is a stunning example of this change, isn't he? The Apostle Paul. He, a man who once persecuted the church, he would be persecuted by the same people that he ran with. Because now he was sold out for Christ. Listen to this in Acts chapter 14. in verse 19 it says but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead they stoned him they left him for dead i don't think we really grasp the concept of stoning today Oh, they stoned him. Yeah, they threw rocks at him until he died. This is what they did to people. They would stone them and leave them for dead. Think about how barbaric and torturous that is. Being pelted with stones. Little stones, medium-sized stones, big stones, and left for dead. This is what happened to Paul. And they would persecute them by by gathering people together that would agree with them. And they would come out in number to oppose the cause of Christ. The persecutors would. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jews. They were being uh, punished. Uh, The Jews were being punished and judged by God for not only persecuting, but also for stirring up persecutions against the people of God. Listen to this again. Verse 34, Matthew 23 Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. You see, Jesus is showing us exactly what would happen. Although they would deny him, therefore denying the Father and the Holy Spirit, he would still send out to them prophets, men of God, with his message to proclaim so that others would hear and others would see and others would believe because of this message. And this would be a mercy to the true people of God. An absolute mercy and a pouring out, an outpouring of grace unto the people of God. To know that he was with them and he was in their midst as they were enduring the persecution and the trial of the time. To let them know who to follow and who not to follow. And they would make themselves known by the actions that they took that stemmed from their hearts of stone, the Pharisees. Acts chapter 17 and verse 13 But when the Jews from Thessalonica heard that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. You see, it wasn't enough for them to to say things against the prophets of God. But they craved their destruction. And they stirred up the people. And so here we have the reason for the lament of the Lord Jesus Christ... In verse 37, Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Y'all, the lament of our Lord Jesus Christ is real lament. And it is significant lament. He emphatically takes aim at the turmoil and the chaotic hearts of the Jews and of Jerusalem. They have turned astray, turned their backs on him, gone after another heart. A heart that is divorced from God and he laments over it. Hear in his voice, in these words, a real and effective lament, a heart cry from the Lord. As he has made her, she has now rejected him. All that he has done. And now she throws him as a lamb to the slaughter. And his Lamentations here in Matthew 23 are echoes in real time of what he had spoken long ago. Listen to this in Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. And further in Lamentations chapter 4 and verse 1. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold has changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots. The work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast. They nurse their young But the daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. This is the lamentation of the Lord. His heart crying out because of their disobedience. Because, again, as we read earlier earlier in Ezekiel, the Lord takes no pleasure... In the punishment of the wicked. And as Matthew Henry points out in the scripture says here, the reason for this judgment of the Lord is because of her own sin. Namely here, the sin of persecuting the prophets. Listen to this in Lamentations chapter 1 and verse 8. Jerusalem sinned grievously. This is why church. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. You see, once the world has its fill of you, they will throw you away. The world will use you up and toss you to the wayside. The world is not your friend. In fact, it is the very enemy that upon seeing your nakedness will laugh at you, will mock you, and will throw you away. We cannot be a church that seeks for and begs the world for kindness. The same world that has hurt you, that has hurt all of us, and continues to throw us away and pass us over, we cannot return to that world and ask for it to take us back. To do so would be to turn our backs on God. It would be just like Proverbs 26:11 says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. We cannot return to the same world we've left for Christ. We cannot beg them for their admiration, for their inclusion. Because God and the world are divorced. And this is what the Jews have done. We cannot be a church that begs for the world's approval. We need to be a church that begs the world to repent and turn to God. This is why it drives me nuts when people say and pastors say from the pulpits that Jesus hung out with sinners. No, he didn't. He never hung out with sinners. He went and was in the presence of sinful people to call them to repentance. He wasn't hanging out doing as they did. That's not the truth. There is not one instance in the scripture that you can point to that would convince me or anybody who actually reads the Bible that Jesus hangs out with people and just does whatever they do. He is in our presence to call us to himself. He calls us out of the very world that we live in so that we can be separated from the world and be apart from the world and a part of him. He calls us out of the sinful life and into His glorious grace forever. This is the work of Jesus Christ. We cannot beg the world for their admiration and their inclusion. We cannot beg the world for their approval. I I will never do it. But I will beg the world every single day, every minute, for them to repent and turn to God. And I beg you to do the same today. We need Him. There is nothing that this world will ever offer you, that will ever give you, that will ever compare to the majesty and the glory of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, that He offers to us by pouring out His grace onto humanity so that we would have a chance to trust and believe. Jesus isn't come to hang out with us in our sin. He has come to call us to himself, call us out of the world and into the kingdom of God. And this is why this is why the gospel is so important. The world needs it. They need it like we need it. We need it. We need the intervention of Jesus to save and we need it every day. And we need to hear it. We need the gospel message. I need it. I need it now more than I ever have, just as much as I ever have, maybe more than I ever have. I don't know, but I need it. I need it now, just like I ever have. And I know that you need it. You need that gospel message to know that Jesus Christ came to save you. He came to give you an opportunity to trust him and be with him forever. So that when this world dies and goes away that we wouldn't be tied to it and chained to it but that we would be wrapped up in his glory forever you know i've been I've been uh, outside and doing a lot of work during this pandemic and 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 um trying to you know get my hands in the dirt and and, and and just be outside more and more and more and build up my immunity to all sorts of different things i got allergies galore i got all kinds of stuff that I go through you know physically on a daily basis but you know, as much as I've done, I was whenever the, the, the hurricane winds were blowing in and everything like that, I was like, man, it's all just being toe up right now. It's all getting destroyed. And I was talking to my mom on the phone because I called her and I asked her like how she was doing and everything. And I was like, man, you know, God just showing me, you know, as much time as you want to put into anything, it, can, it, it will all go away. There is only one thing, one that you can invest into that will never go away. And that is Christ. He will never leave us nor forsake us, church. And that is the glory of God revealed in the Scripture that we read that teaches us that we need to follow Jesus and Him alone. Everything that this world seems to want to offer us, it will all be laid waste if it is without Christ. And this is what we hear today. Because we need to know what happens when we reject the gospel And when we reject God, we need to know about death and we need to know about punishment so that we can recoil at the sin that lies within our hearts, church, to know the heartache, the pain of life, the struggle with sin, the punishment that lies in wait for those who reject God, to know of the death of the wicked. This is what we need to know, church. We need to know it because of the glory that lies within the truth of it. We need to know it because it is all the more glorious for those who know it and have turned from it, who now experience the beauty and the glory and the grace and the mercy and the faith and the peace and the wisdom and the togetherness and the unity of the God of all creation and His will to save and justify at the throne of grace through the faith of those who believe. We need to know it, church. Do you know God today? Do you know Jesus today? Do you know God and that his name is Jesus? And that we put our faith in him alone. Do you know him? It is glorious to those who know pain. To know that the pain that we know will not last forever if we know Jesus and give our lives to him in full. Like a hen gathers her brood, he will gather together all those who believe in our granted life in his name. You see, this generation that rejects God is still upon us. It didn't only exist in New Testament times as we read in the Scripture. It is still upon us because Jesus has not yet come back. But when he does, we will know it. We will see the signs of the times and the seasons of the world changing and coming to an end. The church will be aware of its coming and we will be ready preparing ourselves with right doctrine, with the teaching of the scriptures, the wisdom of heaven. When we will be or we will be prepared by arming ourselves with the truth of God through the word of God, the church, we will be ready. Because we know where to look, and we know where to go, and we know how to pray, and we know how to get to our knees, and we know how to shout, and we know how to praise, and we know how to worship, and we know how to sing. We will be ready, church. I know you will be ready. I know I'm going to be ready, but let's be ready together. And the world will be sleeping and those false Christians who call themselves believers but don't really live for Him, don't follow Him and have no fruit, those, are those who are friends of the world and beg for its approval will be left. And this is why God laments, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! Jerusalem! Still, however, they will meet the Lord and they will know that He's real once and for all. The problem for them and why it's so saddening is it's going to be too late. But now, right now, church, right now, it's not too late. And everybody watching, it's not too late now because he hasn't come back yet. It is not too late to repent and give your life to Jesus. But if we don't, while we're in this life and we pass away, we will pass away with the world. And it will be too late. Listen to what Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 says. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And again, Romans 14, 11 and 12. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You see, Jesus tells them that their house will be left desolate. It will be left a wilderness. It will be void of meaning and void of contentment. It will be void of peace. It will be void of everything good and replenishing that the Lord can ever offer. It will be void of refreshment. It will be left desolate, a wilderness, because it is without Him I want you to see that why is it left desolate? Well, because he is the refreshing. He is the cold drink of water in the wilderness. He is the warm blanket for the soul who is cold and famished and hungry. He is the bread of life. And without him, there is only wilderness. There can be no true joy or togetherness or replenishment or refreshing without a drink from the well of eternal life. And Christ has that well within himself. And he's calling you to that well. Without him, there is no life. There is only the desolate wilderness. So take stock of your life and how you react to those who are perishing due to their unbelief. To be sure, once again, Jesus takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No pleasure. And therefore neither should we. How do you react to those who don't believe in Christ? Do you toss them by the wayside? Do you throw them out as the world wants to throw them out? Or throw us out? Or will you take up the cause of Christ and call them to Jesus once and for all? We should lament... And be driven to call people to Christ to be with him forever. As God takes no pleasure in punishment of the wicked, we should take no pleasure in anyone's unbelief. Moreover, we shouldn't take pleasure in the shortcomings of other people. Give your life to him now here today, church. Give your life to him today. He is calling you, submit and surrender. Confess to him now, here today before it's too late. Surrender and confess now while it's still today and live for him for the rest of your life. I promise you it is a decision that you will never regret. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. We ask you, God, here today for your forgiveness. We ask you, Lord, to continue to call people to your own. Call people to yourself, Lord, to be with you forever. That we may be wrapped up together in eternity forever, God. Call our families, each and every single one, Lord. Call our families our families from home, God. Call us together. Call those people that we work with, Lord. Call them to yourself, Lord God. Call everyone at the supermarket, God. Everyone in the streets, everyone traveling, Lord. Call them to yourself now, Lord. We pray that you would call more and more and more and more. And that we would see more and more and more and more people giving their lives to you. That we would rejoice with them, God, and rejoice with you. Lord, make your kingdom full. Complete your work on the earth, Lord, and come back, oh Lord Jesus, come back. Take us to be with you forever, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.